How many of you like to be told no? Anyone? There, no one? Me either. All of us innately want our own way. If we were to walk down into the children's area and we were to sit there for just a few minutes, we would note that they would give voice to the desires of their heart. You wouldn't have to sit there long, confused about what they wanted, what their desires were. They verbalized them. It might sound something like this, I want a cookie. And when you look at that child who wants a cookie and you say to them, no, you are normally not met with a really great response. It would be what we would term a petulant behavior for being denied what your desire was. Now, here's what I've learned. I watch those little ones grow up. I am one of those little ones that have grown up. And I still, on occasion, am told no, and more often than not, because I'm a married guy who's a father of children, do not get my own way. And by the way, I pastor a Baptist church. We're not allowed to do anything. (laughs) So I am constantly on the precipice of having to make my next step based on an unmet desire or expectation. What do I do? We've been studying prayer. And this morning we're going to listen in as David prays after having a frustrated desire. How he prayed when God told him no. And in 1 Chronicles 29, and we're going to bounce around this story just a little bit, let's listen in as David prays, and then learn from his prayer. In verse 10, if you don't have your Bible, the verses will be here on the screen so that you can know this is God's word. David is praying. Wherefore, David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great And to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. That is an exceptional prayer. In fact, I can hear echoed in the model prayer of Jesus in the New Testament in Matthew 6. The verbiage here of David's prayer. Whether you picked up on it or not... What we just heard is an incredibly submissive prayer. He is offering everything back to God, and he is acknowledging that God is in control of everything. David was an exceptional man. Now, I know that David was fault-filled. I get it. David's mistakes were plentiful, and David's mistakes were giant, 
But the reality is, in this moment in time, David is getting it right. David was a good man, worthy of learning from and listening to. In fact, the Apostle Paul, preaching in the New Testament, says, Sir David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep. Communicating to us that David did within his generation meet God's expectations. Now, every one of us could take David out of that verse. We could insert our own name, and we can grasp that all of us have a certain purpose to serve God in our generation according to his will. I'm just trying to establish some some ground rules. David, a great man. David, who effectively served his generation and fulfilled the will of God, though not perfectly. In fact, God himself assesses David, and we hear it in Acts 13, 22, when he says, a man after mine own heart. And then he says, which shall fill all my will. That's what God was looking for, and that's what he got in David. David, a good man after God's own heart. David is now an old man, and he's about to die. David has united the nation of Israel. Seven years, he served as king in Hebron. 33 years, he has served as king in Jerusalem. Now, this is a united nation, largely undefeated in war. They are now affluent and wealthy, and the kingdom has been expanded. Certainly, it's not in complete unison, but again, largely the nation of Israel is worshiping the one true God, and David has a burning passion. He has a fervent desire. In fact, I believe that if you were around David in the closing years of his reign and you had any conversation with him, it would not be long before he brought up wanting to build the temple there in Jerusalem for God. It was in his heart. And God said, no. How do we pray when God tells us no? How do we pray when we have frustrated desires? The first thing I want to study about this is learning to accept God's will. Accepting God's will. That's not easy to do. If we were to back up to chapter 28 and read in verse 1, we would note that David has assembled together quite a gathering of people. In fact, here's some that are there. The princes of Israel are there. The princes of the tribes are there. The captains of the companies that ministered unto the king. Captains over thousands, captains over hundreds, stewards over all the substance and possession of the king and of his son. All of the officers are there. The mighty men and the valiant men are all gathered t- together in Jerusalem. Clearly, David is wanting to give one last charge. And this is a really impressive group of people that have gathered. Now, in my estimation, if anybody on the face of the earth in this given moment in time had the privilege and the right and the opportunity to polish his own trophies, as it were, to exalt all of his accomplishments, it would be David. But that is not what David does. He begins his public speech by saying this in First Chronicles 28 and verse 2. Then David the king stood up upon his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. And this is kind of the core of the lesson that we're trying to derive from Scripture this morning. Here's what he says. Listen to these three words. As For me, 
As far as I am concerned, that's what David is saying. I am about to voice to you my own personal desires. This is what is inside of me. As for me, I had in mine heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and had made ready for the building. David literally is letting us in on the burning desire and passion of his heart. He wanted to build the temple. And in the very next verse, 1 Chronicles 28, 3, here we listen in as he says this, but God said unto me, thou shalt not build an house for my name. In effect, but God said no. David is not used to not getting his own way. In fact, we could probably settle on the greatest sin that he committed, that sin of the adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, and the then cover-up murder of her husband was because David was not told no very often. David got what David wanted. His son Solomon will carry out this family trait. David is not told no often, yet in these two verses, he has just said to us, here is something that I wanted. This was in my heart. As far as I was concerned, this was a number one option. And God said, no, I'm not allowed to do this. How do you respond in a moment like that? All of us want our way. All of us think we know best. I believe that I know what is best for me and how I should be rewarded. I also believe I know what is best for you and how you should be punished. That's how that works. I think more people should see life like I see it. Don't you? You don't know how to answer because like, am I agreeing that I want people to see life like you or are you asking me to admit that I want people to see life like me? All of us are despots seated on the little throne inside of our hearts with a little scepter in our hands wanting to rule. It is part of our nature. We want our way and David is no different. Keep in mind, David has no ulterior motive here. This desire to build the temple was not born of selfish ambition. This is a man serving his generation by the will of God. A man, though imperfect, certainly confessed and righteous, wanting to do the will of God after the heart of God. He wants to simply honor God and exalt God's name. And God said no. Why would God tell David no? he clarifies it for us. He says, David, because you are a man of war. Because, David, you, in the establishment of your kingdom, shed blood. And I want my temple to be built by a man of peace. Now, unbeknownst to David, as God is unrolling, unveiling his perfect plan, He has had a son with Bathsheba. His son's name is Solomon. The root of the name Solomon is Shalom. His name is peace. So in the perfect plan and calendar and timetable of God, he has already named his son peace, and this is the man that is going to build the temple. Now, he doesn't know that at the onset. 
In verse 4 of 1 Chronicles 28, as David is praying, he's going to reveal to us his attitude. A man who always gets his way, a man who is never told no, who has just told us he has a really burning, fervent, passionate desire in his heart, and God said no. He says this in verse 4 of 1 Chronicles 28, and here's where we are. First introduced to that which is to come. He says, how be it, the Lord God of Israel chose me before all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he hath chosen Judah to be the ruler and of the house of Judah, the house of my father and among the sons of my father, get this, he liked me to make me king over all Israel. David in this moment is focusing on what God did allow him to do rather than that which God did not allow him to do. And that is an incredible perspective changer. Most of us would have our prayer life and our attitude and our outward view on every relationship and interaction based on the fact that we didn't get to build the temple. And what David is doing is in a public way, he is saying, I had it in my heart to build the temple, and God said no. Howbeit, I stand amazed that God saw fit to pick Judah to rule in this kingdom, and out of Judah, he picked my family. And out of my family, he liked me, even though I had brothers who were more physically prominent and intellectually capable, God liked me. He is amazed at what God did allow him to do. And his entire perspective is shaped by the fact that God was good to him. That is really hard for us. Because we focus on the things that God has refused to give us. And it shapes our attitude and it shapes our outlook, and it defines our relationships. He is focusing on the good things. His right attitude in this is greatly emphasized. He'll go on in verse 5, and he'll start to talk about how his son is now going to sit on the throne. He is positively viewing God's plan. And I am beginning to learn that my life as I live it is going to have some frustrated desires. I think we have fallen into some trap. And the trap that we have fallen into is that we imagine that God is going to tie up every loose end before we leave this place. That every question we have and every desire that we have will in some way be fulfilled or will reach some neat and tidy conclusion. David is going to reveal to us that, that it is fact we will live and sometimes die with frustrated desires. That's what happens for David. In fact, he could have spent his entire existence as he closed out his reign looking back dominated by shame and guilt from the sins of his past. He could have had his entire attitude shaped 
by the fact that he didn't get to build the temple and he didn't get his way. In fact, he could have been resentful towards Solomon, his son, who would get to build the temple and he could have hindered everything that Solomon would need to do in building the temple. But none of that exists in David. In fact, it is evidence he is saying, by God's grace, I did the best I could with what I had And I claim the promise that he'll somehow use what I did to accomplish something for his greater glory. How did David pray? And in this, we'll apply some simple truths and try to learn. Number one, I note this. He regained perspective in this moment. Now, I have to back up to 2 Samuel chapter 7 to listen in as he's praying. And David, the Bible tells us, went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? Here we learn something about David's perspective. How can I accept God's will when God's will for me is a frustrated personal desire? When this career arc is not going as I imagined it, when I am not getting my way, I want to push, I want to press, I want my way. How do I respond when I don't get it? Remember this, anything that you have, whatever it is that you have, you do not deserve. That's what David is saying. David literally asks, who am I? What is my house? Who am I, the son of Jesse? Who am I, a shepherd, poet sitting in a field? Who am I, this ruddy little youth that got to walk out into the valley and slay the giant? Who am I that I get to sit in this palace? Who am I that I have all of these subjects? Who am I that I have been brought to this place? When you sit before God, you regain perspective that no matter what you have, you do not deserve nor do I. How can I accept God's will? Remember that God is always good and whatever you have is good for you. He regained that perspective. He could have said, God, hold on. I want to talk about this temple thing because I'm still not getting my way in that. But no, David simply focused on what God had given him and was in awe. I note this secondarily, he retained focus. He's praying now. This is 2 Samuel 7. He's praying, who am I? What is my father's house that I would be in this place? He's continuing to pray and he says this, and this was yet a small thing in thy sight. O Lord God, but thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while to come. He's saying now, it's incredible to me that I'm here from Jesse's house. I'm here. It's amazing to me. It's more amazing to me that you are going to propagate my kingdom and my family on down the line. That's stunning. But he speaks of himself in this way. Thou hast spoken of thy servant's house. He is retaining some focus. When you sit before God, you must acknowledge that whatever you have, you do not deserve. And that's attitude shaping. He also has this focus. I am merely your servant. We get out of line when we do not see ourselves as we should see ourselves. 
David is focusing here on what God had given him rather than what he wanted God to give him. And he is realizing at this moment, I am your servant, so what I have because you are good is what I should have. And if I actually got my way, I would be miserable. Can you even fathom that's true? I want what I want, and I imagine it to be best. Do you realize that sometimes when God says no, he is actually giving us something better than we imagine for our own selves, even when we're not getting our way? I heard this story. It's a fable. Two little teardrops were floating down the river of life. Now, I don't think this actually happens, just to be clear. Two little teardrops were floating down the river of life. One teardrop cried to the other one and said, Who are you? She said, I'm the teardrop of a girl who loved a man and lost him. Who are you? She said, I'm the teardrop of the girl who married the man you lost. (laughs) We don't know what a win is, but we do know we want our way. We don't know what is ultimately best for us, But we can't convince ourselves of that. We are so controlled by our own ambitions and our own innate desires. And we are so impressed with our own intellect. We imagine that our compass always is true. That our desires always are pure. And whenever they are thwarted in the least degree, we just imagine that life is worse now than it could have been if I'd have gotten what I wanted. And what David is teaching us is simply this. We must retain focus that if we are truly his servants, submissive to his will, then rather than get what we want, we should take what he gives because that is best for us. He regains perspective. Anything that I have, I do not deserve. Who am I? He retains focus. I am your servant. That's who I am. So whatever I have is the best thing for me. And he rests in contentment. In verse 20, what can David say more unto thee? He speaks of himself in third person. For thou, Lord God, knowest thy servant. It doesn't matter so much who I am as much as whose I am. And I'm willing to wait on your timing. Lord, I acknowledge that I belong to you and I'll wait on your timing. And in that, I am content. In that, I am content. He says, I know that you know me. I know that you know my strengths and you know my weaknesses. You know my boundaries. You know my parameters. You know that one more thing might cause me to stumble and fall. I may not even ever have it explained to me, but I do know this. You know me, your servant, and in that I am content. That's hard to do. He then begins to offer up praise in 2 Samuel 7, 21 and 22. We're listening to him, and he says, Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with all our ears. When we read a moment ago, we hear what I would call a doxology from David. 
He is praying aloud his doxology, and we hear him say in verse 11, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is thine. Imagine he is heaping praise on David. On occasion, my children will desire something from me that I cannot allow them to have. It doesn't happen all that often, but on occasion they'll have a great idea and they'll say something like, hey dad, I want to go here. And I will say to them, no. Now my children are much more exceptional than your children, very grounded, spiritually superior. They've been trained, we imagine, by the best parents on the face of the earth. So they respond in this way. This, if, if I said to my 17-year-old son, as he said, Dad, I want to go here, and I said no, this might be verbatim what we hear. It might be something like this. Thine, Dad, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in my car and in this house is thine. Thine is the house, O Dad, and thou art exalted as head above all. But probably not. Now, I make light of that for a second because it seems absolutely foolish to imagine somebody responding like that. But this is literally what David has just done when God told him no. God says no, and he returns with gratitude. God says, you can't. And he says, okay, Well, thine is the greatness and the majesty and the victory and the glory and all that is in this kingdom is yours anyways. Thine is the kingdom and you are exalted above all. Can you imagine being that spiritually mature that when you don't get your way, you respond with gratitude? No, you can't imagine it because you've never done it. What you can't imagine doing is balling your fists up. What you can't imagine doing is giving the silent treatment. What you can't imagine doing is giving vent to your frustrations. What you can't imagine doing is giving a scowl, skunk face to everybody that's in your purview. What you can't imagine doing is barking and complaining and making your house a miserable place to live. What you can't imagine doing is frustrating the desires in the workplace and every relationship because you cannot react with gratitude when you have a frustrated desire. This is spiritually elite behavior. Lord, you're great. There's no one like you. You're all wise. I surrender my dream. I surrender my way. He reacts with acceptance. Now here's something that stands out to me. David wanted to build the temple. And I know that Solomon was his son. And I do think that, man, we want our kids to succeed. David, initially, when he desires to build the temple... He speaks with Nathan the prophet, and Nathan says, go for it, build the temple. And I think David was ready to go. And then Nathan has to come back to him because God said, hey, Nathan, uh, let's go tell David, no, he can't build that temple. And in he comes and he says to David, hey, by the way, kind of jump the gun, you're not allowed to build the temple. Now, if I was David and I was the king, I probably could have thrown my scepter on the floor folded my arms, skipped a few meals, 
stomped around the palace, executed a few people. I mean, I could have. I'm the king. It's the Old Testament. You can do stuff like that. Decapitations, lion's dens, burning alive in fire. It happens. But what David does instead is he throws all of his energy behind preparing Solomon to build the temple. He begins to set aside in store all of the gold and all of the silver and all of the timber and all of the ironwork, everything that would need to be saved up, stored away, and and necessary for the building of the temple. David did it. And then in his closing speech, he exhorts everybody that's gathered to generously and sacrificially give so that the temple could be built. And by the way, David would never be alive to see the temple built. But a good attitude turns into helpful behavior and a bad attitude begins hindering behavior. If I don't get to do what I want, then nobody's going to build this temple. David says no. If we can accept when God tells us no or keep something from us in the right way, what we will do is we will help others get it done. If you want to gauge whether or not your attitude is right when you have a frustrated desire, take a look at how you are behaving with other people. And what David is doing in a very humble way is he is preparing his son. Unfortunately, the Christian community is filled with far too many people who refuse to plant trees unless they'll be around to eat the fruit. As one writer said, I find it very revealing of David's character that he was willing to do what we call the grunt work and let someone else get the glory. If you can't have the lead role, he asked, will you sweep the stage floor in preparation? If you can't go down into the diamond mine, are you willing to hold the rope for someone else to go? Or if it's not going your way, are you cutting the rope? If your desire is frustrated and your ambition is stalled and your vision isn't being enacted, are you then just making sure nobody else goes into the diamond mine either? Because that makes for a rotten marriage, a rotten home, a God-dishonoring employee, and a really bad place to go to church. When I, want, I just want my way. If y'all would just give me my way, things would be better. No, you would just be happier, and everyone else would be worse off. Because what we really want is what God wants. David often got it wrong, man, but in this moment, he's getting it right. In 1 Chronicles 28, 20, just back a chapter from where we listened in to him pray. David gives his son a classic father-son speech. And he says this to him. David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and of good courage and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. If I could paraphrase what David has said. He says, listen, Solomon, I've been king for 40 years. I've walked this earth. I've been a shepherd. I've been a soldier. I've been a fugitive. I've been a sinner, a poet, a singer, and a king. And God has never failed me. I've failed God, but he's never failed me. I've disappointed him, but he's never disappointed me. He is worth trusting. 
I've stumbled often, but God never has. He's never once made a mistake with my life. That's what David is teaching us. He is reacting with acceptance. And because he's reacting with acceptance, the practical outflow of that is the temple will be built, and it is magnificent. Solomon will build it, and it is amazing, and it is miraculous. Because David is in, enabled and assisted along the way. And so in those verses that we read, 10, 11, 12, and 13 of First Chronicles 29, David is teaching us the principles, the tenets of faith that enable us to pray submissively. He is saying, I know everything comes from your hand. I know that everything belongs under your rule, and I know that everything about you deserves praise. That's where submissive prayer comes from. If we are not praying submissively, we are not praying effectively. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying. And as he speaks to his Abba Father, which is a really dear and intimate term, it is a deep relationship of love. Daddy, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That is the ultimate apex submissive prayer. And what we are doing is we pull back into the Old Testament in 1 Chronicles 29.10 is we are learning the tenets of that kind of submissive praying that can help fledgling, fault-filled people like us pray effectively. We all think we know what we want. We all think we know what we need and what everybody needs. We all think we have it figured out and we're savvy and we're smart. And the truth is, as we look at our life currently as it is, or even back over the passing years or into the future, we see frustrated desires where our ambition has stalled, where our agenda, our plan, our will is not being adhered to and obeyed. And at that moment, we find ourselves at a crucial juncture. We can either turn inwardly and begin to have our entire spiritual focus about what we're not getting, or we can pray submissively and learn like David to regain some perspective. Whatever I have, I do not deserve. Retain some focus. I am your servant. And you know your servant. So I am content that what I have now is the best thing for me. Thank you for not allowing me to have what I think I wanted because your work is going forward and on. I react with gratitude. Yours is the victory and the majesty and the honor and the glory. And I know that you are to be exalted above all. And so I respond with praise to you. And God, here's what you can expect from me. With every fiber in my being, I'm going to help and assist everyone around me. I am going to be in the right place emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. I'm going to do everything I can because I have accepted this is your will. And my job is to submit to your will and to serve my generation according to your will. I want to be a man or a woman after your heart. And I want to do and fulfill all of your will. And right now, this is what you have for me. So no more rotten skunk face. No more nasty disposition. No more selfishly dominated prayer time. I pray submissively. 
Not my will, but yours. And I labor and work so that your will is done. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.